Welcome to the heartbeat. I am super excited about today's episode because the couple that I've interviewed, Jan and Monica Zanz, they are, wow, how do I even put it in words? I mean, when we first met, it was quite cosmic. <laughs> Let's just say that. Tons of serendipity, synchronicity, like our missions are so in alignment. Um, really just like a soul remembrance, like, oh yeah, we've done this before. Um, and that's a really rare experience to have for me. And the more that I've gotten to know them, the more that I see the depth of their love for each other and the depth of knowledge and wisdom that they have about love and relationships. They both have a master's of spiritual psychology. They both are relationship coaches and they mentor some of my mentors. <laughs> and um, so, you know, these, these people really walk with a lot of integrity and just to see them move the way they move, whether it's a, a meeting that I have with them or even on this podcast, like they're themselves all the time. And that's something that I really respect. And I think from this episode, you'll be getting a lot out of this, just seeing the healthy relationship that they have and the dynamic they have now, um, hearing the, the wild roller coaster of their story. And also they gave a lot of really solid advice. Um, some of the best that I've had on the podcast, to be honest. So if you want to know more about Jan and Monica after the podcast, be sure to check the show notes below. Um, the links to their coaching and everything else is there. And get a piece of paper out and a pen because this is a really freaking good episode. I I just got to say, I love real love stories. Um, the part, This part of the Heartbeat Podcast, simply because I learn a lot as well. And it's really fun for me to interview these couples. I hope that you're getting a lot from me interviewing these couples. If you are, I would love to hear from you and very selfishly ask that you leave a review for the podcast, that you follow the podcast. It helps uh, the algorithm and it also helps me if I'm you know, wanting to get a guest on the show. If we have a bunch of really awesome five-star reviews, they're more likely to join. So leave a review if you could. Share with a friend if you could. And if you resonate with this, please let me know. But without further ado, let's jump into the episode you're listening to the heartbeat you get to cut us off when we go into too much detail about how much we love each other <laughs> no 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 no, no, no not that. And, yes okay we got it we got the point you love each other great okay <laughs> but this is the place for that so well you know. you know here's what's so funny and cool and uh i'm just excited to be invited to be part of this Mm. is Jan and I pretty regularly, because we are in the work and because we work with so many couples, pretty regularly look at each other and say, first of all, God, I love you. And the other one typically at this point says, oh, you had one of those sessions? <laughs> because you start realizing how much you appreciate what you have when you start mm. seeing what people are going through and navigating. It's really, really intense. And then second of all, sometimes we look at each other and we say, how did we do this? How did we get here? Because I don't think that either of us particularly and specifically had the perfect role modeling. Mm -hmm. I don't think I had it at all. And I think Jan had it, but there was, you know, stuff like with every relationship. So how did we end up the way we ended up based on the past that could have been? It just mm -hmm. 
makes me awestruck. <laughs> <laughs> That's so beautiful. So, I mean, let's just, yeah, let's jump in. That's a beautiful place to start. How long have y'all been together? So we, you know what? This is really amazing for us. We just celebrated our 30th anniversary. So, but not of marriage, not, yeah. literally 30th anniversary of our very first date. No, oh. it wasn't our very first date. That's not what we celebrated. <laughs> okay. What was it? <laughs> so December 5th, 1992. So 24 hours was our first date. Yeah. Well, it came later. So I'm really specific about things. <laughs> And and so I love his specificity <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time. So he, so, but it, it if we do it this way, it tells the story. Great, I love it. Let's go. So Monique and I were both on the UCLA sailing team, and so we knew each other, but we didn't really know each other. It's kind of like when you're on a team with 20, 30 people, you know someone's name, you may have some interaction with them, but you don't really, you don't know where they're from, you don't know what they love, you don't know what they want, you know, what the rest of their life is going to look like, what they want it to look like. You don't know these things. Well, unless you sail in the two-person boat with them. Okay. But we didn't. But we didn't. Right. <laughs> unless you're stuck in an elevator for 15 hours, but that never happened to us. <laughs> Okay. Anyhow, so we knew each other. So for two years, we would walk by each other on campus and say hello. And she was this cute, small girl who was an art major and also a science major. She invented her own major because she was going to be a plastic surgeon for children, a pediatric reconstructive surgeon yes that's best to say it that way. right and oh. and so she wanted the science and the art in order to be able to do that and so she would have this enormous backpack filled with huge <laughs> science books and then also rolled canvases sticking out of it and she was always like on a mission always going somewhere <laughs> and so this is how i knew her was this person who would be walking by and we'd just say hi and she'd say hi because we were both in, I was an art history major, so we were both in the art classes, so we'd just kind of see each other. Then on December 5th, 1992, we were both at a holiday party, and we began to talk, and during the conversation, we began to, we immediately realized we actually don't know anything about each other. And but I thought he was hot, so that was something that I <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, <laughs> um, you know why I paused? No. Because you've never said that before. Oh, good. Well, new things all the time. Okay. Um, <laughs> you've ne Really, you've never, ever, ever said that before. Okay. Anyhow. You are, in case you're wondering. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I know you know you think that now, but I didn't know that you thought that in that moment. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yay. Yeah. So anyhow, we started talking about what we love. We love movies and we love restaurants and we love traveling. And we each shared, not specifically and intentionally, but we were just talking about what we wanted the rest of our lives to look like. And it was really clear that what I wanted for my life looked a lot like what she wanted for her life. So similar. It was really ridiculous. It was literally like we both had the checklist and we were like, so what do you think about this? Yep. 
great. And what about this? Yep. Great. And it was like instantaneous connection. Yeah. And so she literally like took my hand and said, do you want to marry me? Or do you want to get married? Do you? I said, will you marry me? She said, I said, will you marry me? And you looked at me like this, like, and, and knowing myself and knowing how clear I am about things like to me, that wasn't weird at all. But now in retrospect, maybe I wouldn't suggest someone else to come out that blatantly and do that. That's frightening for someone. But Jan looked at me and said, maybe someday. Well, like he was so cool and in flow. And I was like, cool, great. Moving on. And then we could continue our conversation. And I'll say that with all the tools we know now, you know what you did? What? You did a yes and. Oh, good. Yes. And <laughs> maybe, and let's keep going. Yeah. Well, I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm very literal. I'm mm-hmm. very like specific. You know, she's like yeah. doing something 20. No, no, no. This is what happened on this day, 30 years. So when she said like, will you, will you marry me? I'm like, I want to really answer this accurately. And yeah. so <laughs> I, I won't say yes right now, but maybe someday. Yeah. So when you say how long have we been together like literally that's the day that we fell mm. in love and and mm. we're so i know i'm talking a lot you are we're so, I'll, I'll be quiet in a second that's we're good. so grateful we know how blessed we are that we're clear of the moment like mm. it's yeah. like in fairy tales where cupid took his bow or her bow however you want to define cupid and it, we got hit by Cupid's arrow. And that was the night, December 5th, 1992, we fell in love. Mm. And that's when the roller coaster began. Yeah. <laughs> love stories are us. Yes. Love <laughs> stories would not be love stories if they didn't have some roller coasters and some amusement parks mm. in them. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's what I was about to ask about, because I know you said that you're blessed to be where you're at today, having given your history. I mean, I would love to hear about the roller coaster. Okay. You know, what, well, I've been what, talking what more. Do you, do you want to share about the roller coaster? Sure. And mm. <laughs> how, 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 mm. how much detail do I go? I, I feel like I have a, 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 a the right way to share this story. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you need to be responsible to other people. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Because there's other people. So we weren't always together. So basically, we had a beautiful romance. We had a beautiful college romance, everything you could dream of. And then we graduated. I got a master's degree, and I was going to work in the Hollywood and work in the movie industry. And she was graduating, preparing for the MCAT. And so I had a good job where I'm working all the time. She's preparing for the MCAT, takes the test, and did not get the score that she wanted. And at that Mm. point knew she was not going to be going to a top university for medical school, which is at the time who Monica was, you either go to the best or or, you don't, or you don't go at all. Mm. Well, I was talking about this the other day with someone yeah, and I actually shared with them and it became a little bit more clear this many years later, part of why I didn't, because we have this big question mark. Why didn't I go? I got into Columbia post-baccalaureate, which means it added two extra years of additional science classes, and then you matriculate directly into the medical school. And why wouldn't I have gone? I mean, it was in the top 10 of schools. Why wouldn't I have gone? Why wasn't that good enough? 
And I knew that the track I had in front of me was going to be 14 years of schooling because it was a double residency plus an internship plus the four years of school. So I knew adding another two didn't make sense. So somewhere inside of me, I didn't justify, ah, it's another two and don't worry, maybe along the way you'll change your mind as to what kind of doctor you want to be and it won't be 14 years anyway. I was so up till then dead set on, I knew my path, I knew the truth, I knew what was going to happen. I knew I was so right about things in my life back then that if it wasn't going to be the way I wanted it to be, it wasn't going to be. And that was it. Yeah. In hindsight, we often get a result that looks different than the way we wanted it to look. And so Monica wanted to be someone who helped people and wanted to help heal the planet in some way. And now she's doing it, but in an entirely different way than the way that she originally thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so she didn't know what she was going to do at that point. And so she decided I'm going to go to Europe and Mm -hmm. it's like, you were 23 years old or something like that, 22 years old before we get married. Cause we knew we were going to get married someday. We knew that we were going to get married. We, we had gonna... made that promise to each other. Yeah, like that... We were committed. Mm-hmm. We were going to be a long-term thing. We loved each other. We had been through ups and downs, even post-college, you know, like just mm-hmm. navigating all of this stuff. Yeah. We knew like we were, we were a team. And, and before we do that, I want to go explore. I want to go to Europe. I want to backpack and I want to cruise around. And so that's what she did. And so she was there and she was there for a number of months. And we were talking all the time. And by the way, this is before Skype. This is before cell phones. This is before, you know, so it was really hard to, we would write letters to each other. And mm-hmm. thousands of dollars in phone bills. And and there really oh, people, there, there was like very. Thousands. Yeah. Email wasn't really happening. So she Whoa. was there for an, a number of months. And, and then. And then she said, you know, I'm in Europe and I'm 23 years old. And I know that I'm going to spend the rest of your, my life with you. And there's some really interesting people here. <laughs> and I want to, I want to live. I want to explore. I want to be free. Mm. And I loved her so much that I didn't want to take that away from her. And mm. she's like, it's just Europe. It's just Europe. What it's- happens in Europe stays in Europe. And, and, mm. and I was like, okay, you know, I love you so much. And I believe in us so much, I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And a number of months went by and then I flew out to Europe and I proposed to her. It was in San Gimignano, Italy, a beautiful field of sunflowers. Cause that's my favorite mm-hmm. flower. And I pulled her. So he's in- like, I'm not just going to ask you to marry you with a flower. Here's your field of flowers. When you want something, I'm going to give you all of it. Wow. And so we were driving and it's literally like, how romantic, like where, right. like, if you look at like Va- so romantic. a Van Gogh or a Monet of their field of sunflowers. And mm. it was so beautiful. Like he had had the train picked out and we were going to stay in San Gimignano and then we we're going to go to Siena and he had all these things and he was carrying his backpack and in the backpack, I didn't know, but it, the ring was in it. And oh my gosh, it was so mm. beautiful. But her heart, we hadn't been together for a year and her mm. heart was not with me 
her heart was with Europe mm. and her heart was there. And so she, when I said yes, she's, when I proposed, she said yes. I did. Because she was committed and we had an agreement. And then eventually she came back to Los Angeles to misery mm. because she, and by the way, this is all Jan with hindsight. I didn't understand mm. this or know this at the time, mm-hmm. but she had, she had freedom in Europe. She was working at a bar. She had great friends. They would do brunches on Sunday and they would go skiing. And it was just extraordinary. And she was free. And she came home to a crappy little apartment to a guy. With a crappy roommate. With, a, with I had a roommate. And to a guy who was gone at eight in the morning and would come home at eight at night. Mm. And she had to go get a job. So she was like working at like some crappy job because now she's in LA and she's not sure what she's going to do with her life. And she, so a mat, like I had no idea how hard that was for her. I didn't understand. Like, it was like, we're together now. This is what we're going to build our life together. This is what we talked about. This is what we dreamed about, but she was in such a hard, sad place. So every day there was tears Every day there was upset Mm. and there was her not feeling understood by me and me being terrified that like, this isn't working now and that we had made this huge mistake and I was going to lose the fairy tale of, of my life that like this fantasy that I knew was supposed to happen. So fast forward, she got a really good job, but in a different city. And so she moved and we tried to do the long distance and that worked and didn't work and worked and didn't work. And so also what was happening for me along the way is, you know, I had been raised in a family where my, my parents had lots of ups and downs. It wasn't smooth Mm -hmm. and easy sailing and everybody loved each other and love was demonstrated. It was rocky and it was emotional and it was, sometimes loud and screaming and fear and lots of stuff. So for me, in my heart, I needed to know that no matter what I did to test, to push, to say the wrong things, to be inappropriate, to be any iteration of Monica that I wanted to be, I wanted to know that my partner could handle it. And so the way, the only way I knew how to do that was to test my partner. So I wasn't, you know, I was interested in other people, not just because I wanted to not be with Jan, because I wasn't sure if Jan was able to deal with all of the parts of me, because Jan, from my perspective, came from a very idyllic, very loving parents, very unified group. They did everything for him. They were immigrants. So their kids were the center of their universe and wanted them to have an American experience. And Jan just had this life that was nothing like what I experienced my life to be. And so I thought, is he ever going to really understand when things get hard, how to actually handle getting through them? So I wanted to date other people and be with other people to see, is there someone that has more of my experience or more of my story that would understand more of what my life was? And I didn't realize that that's not actually what I wanted in partnership What I really wanted was someone who had the role modeling of a beautiful and productive and loving marriage, Mm. but I didn't know because it felt so idyllic and utopic if he could handle me. 
Mm. And I was very scared of committing to someone that what if one day they just were like, I'm over you. I'm done with this. Now, I think you know this now mm-hmm. because you've had so much time to reflect. Yeah. But back then, no way did you know that that's what you were doing. No. Right. So, no right. idea. so for, so you for people like listening, yeah. Yeah. So for people listening, thinking like, that's the awareness that we had. No, no. way. I, no way. I, I was well, so could, could you describe? Yeah. Could you describe like your, your thought process back then? Cause that's the reflect. You just described the reflection of what was actually happening, but yes. What was it feeling like back then? Yeah. Back then I felt like Jan can't handle me. Jan doesn't really know me. If he really knew the true me, he would leave. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be left. I know what it looks like when people aren't faithful. I don't want that in my life. I'd rather not be with someone if someone's going to be unfaithful. I'm not a number two ever. I need to be the center of someone's world and attention. I know what I want and I know how to get it. I was very righteous. I was very entitled uh, and not entitled like I get everything. Entitled like I will work my ass off. I will do whatever it takes to have something come to fruition so I want to make sure that the person that I'm with will do whatever it takes to have me. My experience of it was she's confused. She's saying that she loves me and saying that she wants to be with me one minute. And then the next day, like not sure. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was because she w- was working through all of these thoughts and all of these questions in her head. Well, and I think I also judged that I was more evolved, like I had been through more in my life than Jan, like he had it so easy. How could he begin to understand what I went through? You were really looking so to be I understood. Didn't give him, I didn't give him yeah. the benefit of the doubt that maybe he does understand, or maybe he could yeah. understand, or maybe if I brought him into the fold, he could. So I just made him wrong. And tried to fix him all the time, tried to tell him, oh, well, you could do this differently and you could do this better. I mean, I remember I'd go to his parents' house and I was raised and trained by my father that you respect your elders. You you never sit. If you go into someone's house, you are cleaning the table, you're setting the table, you're helping with dinner, you're seen and not heard, and you're there to support So when I'd go to his house and his father and mother would dote on us and they'd be setting the table and and I'd be like, Jan, get up and go help your parents. What are you doing? And I just Mm. judge everything he did as you can't handle me. You can't handle this. You can't do this right. Why, Why do they let you get away with that? It was so foreign to me and confusing. And that immediately meant he's never going to be able to handle me. I can handle you. You so can handle me. <laughs> so how, Lucky did, me. how did that flip? Like, where did you get to that point where you saw that and allowed it? it took freaking years. Like, mm-hmm. I'll say probably five years into our marriage, which is about wow. almost 15 years being together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell the story to get there. Cool. Yeah. But what I learned... Or what I always did is I've never learned to handle her. I just loved her. Yes, thank God he didn't have to handle me. I had I had it so wrong. 
you know, had been raised by a father that everything got handled. That's how it worked. That's how it was structured. That's how there was semblance. That's how, you know, the assembly line worked. That's how sports worked. That's how school worked. There was, this is what you did. So I love that. And what I say today is Jan is the person in my life. My mother and my grandmother loved me, unconditionally loved me. But Jan is the first person that taught me how to be loved. Mm. He loved me in a way that had me know how to receive it from someone that wasn't my mom. Because I just accept you exactly as you are. You just, at every turn, there was like, let me try to understand you. No matter how complex you are, no matter how different than me you are, let me just understand. Tell me more. What, what is that about? Why do you do it that way? There was like a inherent curiosity to you that just blows me away every day of our marriage, every day of our life, every day of our parenting, everything we go through that doesn't make sense to me. Jan's like, well, could you see it this way? Or could you consider this way? And he just, he's now way more articulate about it, but when we were young and in love and stupid, we, he just <laughs> knew how to pour his love into me. Hmm. So thank God for him. Thank God for you. Because if it would have been for me, I would have broken our relationship apart. I'm pretty really? clear about that one. I would have been so right about how wrong he was or how right I was that I would have you know, continued to pull away and pull away and pull away until there was nothing left to pull towards. And so what, yeah, how did that mend or that season that y'all were in of? So to cut to the chase, do I, should I fill in the gaps or just cut to the chase? Well, I think Kevin will ask, just okay. cut to the chase. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, so while we were apart, we, there was on and off Mm -hmm. And there was a time where I moved to Europe so that I could just get away. There was a time where she had a very serious relationship and thought maybe she had found the person that she was going to marry. And that person didn't want to get married, didn't want to have kids. And she found herself like, why am I trying to, I'm, I'm quoting her from what she's told me, why am I trying to make this work with this person? When what I have in Jan is everything that I need and want and have been asking for, but mm. have been putting all the walls against my heart to not let actually the love he has for me in. So when I came back from Europe, she hunted me down, found me. Actually, while he was in Europe, I called his mom, who was not happy to hear from me. <laughs> and his mom is very strong and certainly gave me a piece of her mind. Oh, you know, I don't know if I should give you Jan's information. I don't want you to break my son's heart again. Mm. You mm. know, how do you know that you're actually serious this time? Like she was like a father is to a daughter, you know, to the boyfriend, yeah. you know, father of a daughter to the boyfriend. Mm -hmm. She was like, we'll see if I give you the number. And eventually I, you know, whatever I needed to do to kind of prove or keep calling, I did. And eventually she did gave, give me his number. And so I reached out. And we started dating a little bit. And she then asked me to marry her again. So she asked mm. me on December 5th, 1992. Then I proposed to her in a field of sunflowers. And then when we got broken up and the ring went into a safe and we didn't think anything was going to happen, we were totally apart. 
then that's when, you know, she had her relationship and then she came back to me and proposed to me. Wow. And my response was, are you sure? Yeah. It hmm. wasn't a yes. Of course. I've been waiting all my life. It wasn't like this romantic interlude, like, <gasps> and I tried, like I wrote him the most beautiful card. I wrote my apologies in it. I took him on a river rafting trip in the Grand Canyon. We went camping. It was so beautiful. I gave him a Swiss army knife with his name and our date in it. Like Instead it was so romantic. And I said, oh. will you marry me? And his response was, are you sure? Yeah. Cause and I I'm like, I guess I deserve that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yep, I'm sure. And mm -hmm. I deserve that. And then we told everybody. Yeah, I didn't want to be an idiot and be like, we're getting married again. And then, then we're right. breaking up and we're fighting. And so we um, told everyone and we got married. And guess what? <laughs> she wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. After we um, got married on the wedding day, I wasn't sure. Mm. And, you, and could you explain that? Like what was going through your head of why that um, you were so sure and so, you're not? <laughs> the year leading up to our wedding, there was a lot of people involved in the wedding. Jan's mm -hmm. mom is an unbelievable event planner. My aunt is an event planner. So they there was a lot of hands in the mix. And there were certain things about our wedding that I wanted, like I wanted independence. You know, Jan said something today that I've never heard him say this way. And I think it rings so true. My primary value in life is freedom. I want beyond anything, number one, love and freedom. And freedom gives me access to loving. I can love myself if I'm free. I can love others. I can be loved. If I really feel free, I'm open. So for me, when things in life never felt or didn't feel free, I felt unsure. Mm. I felt hesitant, resistant, unsure. Mm. So leading up to the wedding, there were some very clear things that Jan's mom wanted and that felt like I was marrying not just Jan, but I was marrying Jan and his mom and his family. And so I remember there was this one day where we were driving and I said to Jan, you know, I love you. I'm marrying you. I'm not telling you this because I'm not going down the aisle with you, but I want you to know there's going to come a point in our life where you have to choose me or your mom. You can't do both because what happens when you choose us both is that I don't know where I stand. And so I really need to feel like you've chosen me. And I'm not telling you, you have to do that now, but I know in my heart, I need you to do that. And unfortunately it came really soon after I had asked that question, because the most important thing to Jan's mom being such an integral part of our wedding was that she would be on the stage where you get married. Well, you know, when you get married, there's like the groomsmen yeah. and the bridesmaids and in what, what in her vision, the parents are there too. you know, one on one side, mm -hmm. and one on the other. And in her vision and it, in her parents vision, it was like, you are witnessing us move into this part of our life and create our community, our life, our family. And if you're up there on stage, I'm not sure if you're going to forever hold me accountable to uh, you're part of the family mm -hmm. and you are they are in, uh, uh, the very important fabric of our family 
But some part of me at that moment, maybe I was too naive. Maybe I was too immature. Maybe I was very mature. I don't know, but I needed it to be Jan in my moment. Right. And so that day I was, there was a lot of stuff in my head about that idea. And there was concern and fear. Like I'm saying yes. And I really want this to be a forever. Yes. And do I really mean it? I think it's, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the part about my mom yep. and that was definitely something, but I don't think that carried on for a number of years into our marriage. No, I think what carried on into our marriage was she wasn't sure because we didn't know how to do marriage. She maybe hadn't completed in her heart, like the previous relationship that, you know, when she came and she came to me and said, I want you, that relationship may not have been over in her mind, in her heart. There was a number of different things. Well, there was something that was really important. I think that sometimes people enter into relationships and they discover more of themselves. And sometimes people enter into relationships and they lose themselves. And I, in that previous relationship, had really discovered so much about myself. And in my relationship with Jan, especially early on, I felt like he wanted me to be what he wanted me to be versus wanting me to be me. Which was a story you made up in your head. Right. Right. It was what I experienced. Ah. So because of that, the first, especially the first year of marriage, he would bend over backwards, walking on eggshells, trying to make me happy, but nothing that he did was what I felt or could know that he wanted. So it didn't make me happy because I wasn't sure if it was him doing it for me or him doing it for him. And so do you really, are you really loving me and doing it for me? Are you doing it because that's what you think you should do? Hmm. So I, so we got a coach, we got a relationship coach. And this is when we found personal development. This is when we went to a weekend seminar and we started to look at ourselves deeply uh, and like, why are we making the choices that we're making really mm -hmm. some introspection, some really mm -hmm. some self-awareness. And we, um, we met with our coach and I'm going to just fast forward a little bit. Yeah. And she basically said, you need to choose to Monica. Like you need to choose. And yeah. Like, like so good for the rest, for the rest of your life. Like you need to either choose or not. And Monica said, okay, choose him. And so our coach said, so I want you to get divorced, but not physically and legally divorced. I want you to divorce yourself from the relationship that you're currently in. And I want you to create a new relationship. Wow. So we left there and we drove to this place called Cafe Montana that doesn't exist anymore. It's in like the Brentwood area of Los Angeles. And they happen to have these paper cloth tablecloths, paper, paper tablecloths. Tablecloth. And we asked the waiter, the, the waiter for a pen and we wrote our divorce papers. Wow. But it wasn't divorcing, like I wasn't divorcing her. Yeah. She wasn't divorcing me. We were divorcing ourselves from a relationship where we felt this way, uh, where we were doing these things. Well, I'll just say when we, we just moved a year ago and while I was going through all of the boxes, I found the papers, wow. I never threw them away. And we did two papers. 
Yeah, so we divorced ourselves. One paper was divorcing each other with a lot of hot words. Mm. Like, we didn't hold back. It was like writing an FU letter to the person in front of you and then reading it to them. So normally when we are working with people, we tell them, write an FU letter to get it off your chest. And then you never reread it. You never share it. You rip it up or you burn it. Mm -hmm. This was not that. We wrote FU letters to each other's. Jan's was a lot more gentle than mine. Literally FUing the past, the whole relationship oh, and wow. all the stuff that didn't work, that we didn't like, that we didn't want anymore. Because I wanted to make sure that I got it out of my cellular infrastructure, like I was vomiting it out onto this paper, and that was it. It wasn't very pretty. Thank God we were in a space in a container where our coach had really set it up powerfully, like, you're going to do this. And she had prepared Jan, like, no matter what the words are on the paper, it's not about you. It's about mm. the past relationship, which is why the words get to come. Ah. So- we shared the words and they were yucky and, and hard. And I felt really bad. Like I needed to apologize for the words. And he kept saying, you need to say and get it out what you need to get out. And it was again, one of those moments where Jan, there was a part of him that was demonstrating. This is in retrospect. I can see it now. Mm -hmm. He was rescuing me from myself because I just, I wanted to go for the guttural. I wanted to be so intense and so get it all out. And at the time I did it. Like I was really, I did it. In retrospect, do I think it was the best way for me to have done it? Could I have been a little kinder? Yeah, but it worked. I got it out. And then we wrote the most beautiful, here's what we're going to create. Mm. And we did it together. Like one was a solo process. I wrote my shit. He wrote his shit. Then we shared our shit. Then we got that, folded it up and got rid of that. And then together we wrote. And I think that was the beginning of pretty much everything now. Yeah. Wow. So that was the long answer to your short question of how we got here. So, so that was the beginning of our real relationship, like this mm. new loving relationship. And from there, we continued to do the work. We never stopped. I think the reason why we are where we are right now is because we're committed to loving each other and we're committed to doing the work to better ourselves so that she feels loved to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. And she is constantly working on herself and trying to understand me in order so that I feel loved to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. And our needs are met. When you're just totally about the other person and letting them know, and they're totally about you, it's like a yin yang. And you don't mm. have to really do the work to say like, you're not doing this for me. You, you know, it's like your needs are met when the come from is having the other person truly feel loved. Let me add to that because I want to make sure that this is understood. Yeah. You and I are um, limitless learners. Yeah. We are constantly pursuing understanding life, ourself, our challenges at every season of life, at every age of life. As we're aging, there have been so many things in our lives that have given us rich, beautiful material to work our process around. Mm -hmm. 
to fall deeper in love with ourselves, to work through our inadequacies and our insecurities, to face and confront when we're not necessarily our best selves. So we provide an unconditionally loving space for each of us to do that work on ourselves. And as a result of that level of honoring our partner's process, we fall deeper and deeper in love with each other, which then makes it super easy to deeply love and respect and want our partner to know how much we want you to know and wake up and fall asleep every day and every morning that you are loved by me. You don't need anybody else. You know you are loved by me no matter what. No matter whether you have a good day or a bad day, no matter you you like your body or you don't, no matter what your face looks like or no matter what words came out of your mouth, I love you and I want you to know with everything I've got. Because you love me so much, I want to give it back to you. So it's this fill my bucket, empty my bucket, fill my bucket and not empty my bucket like pour it out because it's yucky, fill you with some of the overflow that you've just filled me with. And it's this thing that I think has become right now in our marriage, like we look at each other probably weekly. And I, you know, there were going to be some people that want to vomit from this statement, I think, (laughs) but like almost weekly, we look at each other and say, I can't believe how much more I love you. I can't believe that there's more of me to love you with. Well, can't believe there's more love. There's an either like- it's it's a Spinal Tap, a movie, an old movie that people probably don't know the reference, but the guy had these amplifiers and they went to number 11. He's like, mm-hmm. most people, speakers, they only go to 10 because, you know, they all go to 10. It's one through zero through 10. Mm-hmm. He's like, mine go to 11. They go even a little bit more and, and it doesn't make sense, but that's how it is with our love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that what contributes to why I feel this way about you is as I'm going through things in my life, growth opportunities and confusion and sadness and loss and grief and good times and hard times, you don't skip a beat to celebrate the celebrations, to meet me where I'm sad, to love me through the hard times, to reflect to me ways that I might see something differently. But in the process, you aren't making me wrong for where I'm at. You are loving me through it, even if you completely disagree. And even if you don't like something that I've said or done or the way that I've done it, you're still supporting me to get to a place where it works for you, as opposed to making me wrong, making me suffer, making me struggle, making me have to go off and isolate myself and figure it out by myself. Like it's, it's really magnificent. So glad. And I'm words can't actually describe what it feels like to be loved this way. Mm -hmm. And you let it in. That's what it sounds like too. Receive the love that way. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking a lot. (laughs) It's been absolutely perfect. (laughs) Yeah. The show's about y'all anyway. Okay. Well, perfect. Um, Thank you for sharing all of that. I think one of the questions that I have uh, from that share is really Jan for you in loving her, not handling her, as we all talked about, but really loving her and holding that space. Could you describe a little bit of maybe where you come from and what that feels like or is to give some of the listeners uh, 
a little bit better of an understanding of how to meet somebody as deeply as you meet her. What, you know, what's maybe going through your mind at that time, especially if it's something triggering, you know, you don't dislike how she did something or whatever. How do you handle slash hold and love her in that beautiful way that she just described? So I, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I wore this shirt for a reason. I'd say I'd say that it's on the shirt. It says just add love. Yes, yeah. the shirt says oh right. If you're listening to it, thank you. You're <laughs> the best. So that's the first thing. She's brilliant. So she's brilliant and she's beautiful and she's fun and she's silly and she's hysterical and she's like so many different things. So there's there's what I did just because of it was early on in our relationship. And then there's what I do now, which Mm -hmm. is still just intuitive, but also because I've studied relationship, I can actually like define what I do. It's almost like I didn't know I was doing these things. And then as we're studying relationship, we're like, oh, look at all these things, these things that they tell relationships to be doing, we were doing naturally. Mm -hmm. So, so one of the things that is from our, we both have master's degree in spiritual psychology. And one of the fundamental pillars of the, the, the learnings from that is that um, everything is coming from a loving space. So yeah. it's called seeing the loving essence. And I see that everything that she's doing, I believe, has a loving, heartfelt intention. So even when there's an argument yeah. or an upset or a miscommunication or something, I know that if if for some reason she's not being nice which rarely happens but if it is it's she's a nice person so something's going on that's having her not be the way that she always is hmm. so my job is not to react to who she's being in that moment it's who is she all the time and then how do i love her and go what's wrong What's going on that's having you be different than how I know you to be, which is this unbelievably kind, loving, generous human being. So that's Mm -hmm. how I navigate things when Mm -hmm. things aren't perfect between us. Because when you're living with someone, when you're with someone 24-7, we work together, our businesses are together, we raise our children together, like stuff comes up sometimes. So when it's not perfect, that's one how I navigate it. But the other thing that I do, which I didn't really know that I did it until we read this in a book recently, was I um, I admire the qualities that she has, and I adore her, and she feels that. It's not just that I- You admire, you appreciate, and you adore. Yes. Admire, I, appreciate, and adore. Oh, those are three A's. Admire, appreciate, <laughs> and adore. Like I admire, I admire how smart she is. I admire how hardworking she is. And he doesn't hesitate to say it. Yeah. And like I, he doesn't just keep, like, he doesn't look from afar and say, oh, and call you up and say, hey, Kevin, I want to tell you how amazing my wife is. He looks at me in the eyes and says, did I tell you how beautiful you are? Did I tell you how great it was when I heard what you shared the other day? Gosh, I really loved this and that part of it. Mm-hmm. You did? Why? Well, it helped me because I was working through this. That like he literally will go through like this is the impact you have on my life. 
when you've been together this long and you're having that kind of impact and someone mm. can tell you the impact you have on their life, like, yes, I'm in more, Yeah, more of that. That feels good. Yeah. And, and so, so admiration is often we have the thoughts in our head, but we don't share it. Mm. So that's one. And then I just appreciate like who she is. I have so much gratitude. I have so much gratitude that she's got one life to live in this body. You can talk about multiple lives and everything, but let's just say she's got <laughs> one life to live and she chose to live it with me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the freaking luckiest person on the planet that this amazing human being chose to live her very one life with me and all my quirks and eccentricities. And then, and then I adore her and I let her know that I'm I like whatever her love language is. Mm-hmm. And I do my best to, to love her in her love language. But he does an amazing job of loving me in his love language. So yeah. his love language is words of affirmation. And he does an amazing job of telling me a hundred times a day, 20 times a day, five times a day. Have I told you you're beautiful today? Have I told you you're brilliant today? Have I told you how much I appreciate you today? How have I told you how sexy you are today? You know, my my love language is, is acts of service. Every <laughs> once in a while, I need some reminders, but we're good. You know, he he strives. He strives for, for acts of service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that's the way that I, it's, we just read recently in this book that so many people experience love as a noun, you know, mm. I have love for you. But what mm. we really need to do and what we do is love is a verb. It is an active action. Mm. It is something that you do. And three yeah. ways that you do it is by admiring, appreciating, and adoring. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. yeah so but it's easy. It's it e- Look at her. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Kevin, to your point, I know you just asked Jan, but I also would love to share. Please, yeah. I I think that, words of affirmation, baby, um, I think that what I love the most about how you do relationship Mm -hmm. with our kids, with me, is you have this unbelievable empathy and compassion for the human spirit. You see through the trials and tribulations that humans go through on a day-to-day basis, the traffic that they have to deal with, the toaster not working, the dishwasher this morning not working, having to go drop our kid off at school, having you know all these little things that just bombard us all day long, every day. And some of us have an unbelievable capacity to navigate and handle that. And you, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know why. Maybe you could speak to it, but you have this expansive capacity to not be bothered. Mm-hmm. Because you don't get bothered, you then don't take it out on other people. You're able mm-hmm. to actually move outside of it and be this beautiful, neutral observer of what's going on. And you can so quickly, and I definitely don't have this superpower, you have it highly developed. You can so quickly enter into empathy first. And then potentially if you move into judgment or or confusion second, you can ask questions, but often it's the other way around in relationships where people enter into judgment first, Mm -hmm. and then that judgment energy is a triggering energy. 
So then you build walls up. And by the time you get to the empathy and compassion, it's almost too late because you've had this full-blown thing that happens and, and challenging and problems and wanting to fix people and sadness and all that stuff. We navigate around that. Like we don't have those landmines in our marriage. And as a result, resolution happens really beautifully and quickly. Yeah. Mm. Beautifully and put. What, I, if, yeah. And what I think you just saw, which is what we try and teach people as well, is human beings want to be seen. They want to be known. They want to be loved and appreciated for just for who they are, just as who they are. And we constantly tell each other, like how we're seeing each other. Mm. It's a great practice. I'm seeing like yeah. you were so amazing when you did this with our daughter. When we had people over, your turkey was so delicious. You make this and, and just constantly, or she'll say in the session, you said this. I didn't know when you went there. You held the space so beautifully. And we're just constantly acknowledging each other for and, and seeing each other and letting each other know, I see you and I appreciate you and you're amazing. There's mm -hmm. a really wild statistic that we read. And it mm. says when you're in a conflict, when you're in a fight with your partner, you need to, for every one critical thing that you say to them in that fight, you need to have five positive things that you counteract it with to get to positive resolution in your relationship. Wow. But this is where it gets shocking. But on a day to day basis, not in conflict, you need to have 20 positive things to one thing that is just average or, or you don't comment on 20 things a day to have a very successful and powerful relationship. So we walk around barely saying compliments, thinking our partner should know, or we don't really need to, or we're not in conflict. So we don't need to do anything extra. Mm -hmm. And it's not in conflict when you actually need to be more positive. It's actually day to day where you build the affinity and rapport yeah. towards each other so that when you're in conflict, it only needs to be five. Mm. There's an, a really amazing couple that then they founded this thing called the Gottman Institute, where they have this thing called the Love Lab, where they've studied people and research based so, relationships. Yeah. And we love mm -hmm. that because we have our background in spiritual psychology. Mm -hmm. which is in the spiritual realm and very heart-based. But then when you also bring research-based, what did you say? Yeah. Research scientific, research-based. Uh, like data mm -hmm. on this is what a relationship needs if it mm -hmm. wants to be successful. It's like we love combining the science with mm -hmm. the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so that's what she was just mentioning. I love that. Yeah. The there's a question that comes to my mind, which is, um, what would you say to somebody who maybe has that natural affinity and love for their partner? And at what point does it the the work or okay, like I'm going to show up for my partner, and I'm going to express the, all of this stuff. When does that become like trying to make it work versus just a natural thing? Because is, is, are you picking up what I'm asking? Yeah. 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 When, it, well, when is it like, a, oh, this is just so natural. And yeah, let me reorient myself so that I can have express it and have you receive it and have it be known versus 
I'm going to do this so that I can make it work. Or it just, it becomes from, it comes from a different energy, I guess. You want to answer first? Yeah. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah. So I think part of what you're asking is a logical question about a heart-based thing. And I think that a lot of what's going into a decision like that, or recognizing there's a choice, am I in or am I not, Mm. comes from trust of oneself, gut, being able to listen to your body and your gut, because your gut doesn't lie, Mm -hmm. your interpretation of your gut lies, but your gut doesn't lie, Mm. and being still enough and willing and and patient enough with yourself to trust and listen to your intuition. So mm-hmm. I would say to any couple, if you feel like it's sandpapery is the word we like to use, because we don't always like to say like, there's some, there's a problem. I really love to say, so challenges in our vantage point, what we believe is challenges are not problems to be fixed. Challenges are opportunities that present themselves for the greatest growth and learning. And if you relate to challenges as growth and learning, you welcome them and you approach them differently than if you look at something that's not working as a problem and you approach it as something's wrong that has to change, stop, or be fixed. Mm -hmm. So I'll preface that with when you're evaluating conflict and challenge in relationship, first of all, what's your come from? What's your rearing? What's your upbringing? What's the way that conflict was resolved in your upbringing. Because if rejection happened, then sometimes the trying is because you're trying to avoid rejection, abandonment, betrayal. And so it looks like you're trying, but maybe you're not actually trying. You just don't know how to get love any other way. So that in itself could be confusing because it's coming from the mind that question, like, how do I identify it? So what I would say is, if you are able to move into looking within and doing your very best to do the work you need to do to feel neutral about your partner and about the way you're looking at it, and this isn't always easy, but if you can evaluate things from more of a neutral perspective than a hot or heated perspective, you're going to get more bang for the buck. You're going to get further with that. Then when you're looking at the relationship, you're thinking, am I coming towards them, needing them to be something to make me okay? Or am I coming towards them, seeking to be a space for them to know they're loved and they're okay? Hmm. And if both of those dynamics are available in your relationship and it's a teeter-totter back and forth and back and forth, a give and a take and a give and a take or a give and a receive. If that happens, then you're probably not trying to make it work. But if it feels for someone that they are the one that's always trying to be the loving, kind, generous person, and they over and over and over feel rejected or not met, The first thing that needs to happen is look into their partner's triggers and past and upbringing. Is there healing they need to deal with that you can just hold space for? If they are not open to that conversation and doing that work, then it becomes a way different relationship. 
However, if they're open to that conversation and they're open to doing the work and working on discovering what work works, well, then try, try, and try again. Because were it not for what Jan did, were it not for him to see through the angst and the fear and the stuff, were, were it not for him to see me through loving eyes, even though he didn't realize back then that's what he was doing, we wouldn't have made it because I would have pushed hard enough that he wouldn't have wanted to go against what I was pushing. And I never would have experienced what he's given me. Does that answer your question? It does perfectly. Yes. And I'd love to add to that if I could. Please, yeah. So, you know, what was interesting to me about your question is there's probably further questions. Like, mm -hmm. is one person trying more than the other? Um, and 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 why is the experience of trying to make it work? There's probably a whole conversation about what's not working. So these are other things. Mm -hmm. But and in practicing some of those skills of admiration and adoration and reflecting feelings and these types of things, a lot of times people have never had role modeling of what healthy relationship looks like. So they may not know how to do things. So a lot of times in our coaching, we, yeah. tell, we tell people, be patient with each other, be patient mm -hmm. with your partner. So I grew up in a home where both my parents were born and raised in Cuba. So th they speak Spanish fluently. I grew up in a home where Spanish was spoken. I know how to speak Spanish, okay? I also grew up in a home where my parents love each other. And I saw like love, I saw two people truly loving each other. And mm. they role modeled to me how to be kind, how to love each other, what a rela loving relationship looks like. And respect for yeah. one another. And respect. Deep respect for one another. And so because I saw that growing up, I speak loving relationship fluently, just mm. like I speak Spanish fluently. Mm. Now, someone who didn't grow up in a household that didn't have that role modeling won't speak that the same way. They don't even know how. Yeah, the same right. way they they wouldn't know how to speak Spanish fluently because they didn't grow up. I wouldn't know how to speak Mandarin fluently. So we think, oh, I just met the person who is amazing and they're incredible and I'm going to do healthy, happy relationship with them, but I don't speak Mandarin. And I also don't know how to speak healthy, happy relationship because I never saw it. And so it's a big issue. And they beat each other up because they don't know how to do it. They beat each other and themselves. And themselves. So mm -hmm. then they're destroying their own self-value and worth and experience and feel some way. And then they bring that into a relationship. And then they they feel frustrated and annoyed. And that's combative. So now it's a double whammy. And then if their partner also feels unworthy, then they're dealing with potentially the guilt or the shame or whatever comes forward that they feel they've caused their partner. So now you've got this very complicated yeah. mess. So, Lots of knots. So yeah. a lot of times the way to work through that is to be doing what may look like trying to make the relationship work because mm -hmm. it's new behavior. But as right. long as both people are 
both committed to making the relationship work. And we're both knowing that this is new behavior that we're trying on and we're practicing and we're going to get better at it over time to the point where we're just fluent and we're speaking Spanish and we aren't even aware that we're speaking Spanish. That is a potential objective. Mm -hmm. Love it. Kind of switching gears a little bit, going back to your story, um, this question more so for Monica about how you were able to open up to love because it seemed like that was a big process for you. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, how, well, how, yeah. how did you get there and what really was that process like? So I, you know, our parents really have a lot of imprinting on us for many, many, many of us. And my father was raised in a very destructive home. His father was a workaholic and off doing whatever he was doing and not faithful. His mother didn't really want to be a mother, but had kids because it was the thing that you did. She was constantly off also being unfaithful. And she made it very clear to her kids that they were annoyances to, to her. So he came to the United States at the age of 17 and really had to make a life for himself. Well, he, like Jan said, never learned how to father, never learned how to husband, never learned how to be loved. He learned how to survive. Hmm. So my upbringing was... I am the most equipped person. If you ever needed to get somewhere and needed to survive, call me up, bring me with, because I am so equipped to survive. But when you are a survivor and that's the way you go into life and relationship, it doesn't feel safe to be open. It feels like an animal that feels like it's being hunted or is wounded. It's going to attack. So my come from was protect, 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 be the best, be the best, be better than everybody else so no one can take you down. Well, it seems like that would be an admirable quality. Be great, be the best. But in the world, when you are striving to be better than others, a couple of things happen. First, you're separate. You separate yourself all the time and people separate you. In the eyes of those who want you to do great, you're their star and amazing and they love you. And to those who feel like you're competing against them, they hate you. They don't just dislike you or ignore you or say, you know, you over there. They hate you. You have a target on your back, or at least I felt like I did. So life didn't occur for me as easy. And I think because of that, I didn't feel lovable. I felt mm. like in order to get love, there was a cost. And my mother loved me unconditionally. So I knew that I was lovable. I knew my mother loved me, but I didn't mm. really embrace that I didn't have to do anything because my father so overshadowed my mother in terms of his desire for the outcomes I was to create. Mm. And what I realize in hindsight is, that was his survival. He was teaching me to survive. It was the greatest wow. gift yeah. he could have given me. My resourcefulness and resilience is bar none, like undeniable. I can get through and, and carry the load of, and you know, what was that crazy, crazy um, 
uh, movie where um, the guy, Wolfman, what's his name? What's Wolfman's name? Wolverine. Wolverine's name. Oh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Yeah. The, the movie where Hugh Jackman was a slave and it was like the most grueling tasks he's ever had to do. Like there was a lot of my life that I felt when I watched that movie, mm. I got emotional partially because I saw myself in him. I never saw that. Which movie is this? I don't it, know. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> it, so it was like life felt like an onslaught. So because mm. of that, I felt like I was always in the corner fighting to survive, fighting to be worthy, fighting to have people see that I was valuable, fighting, 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 fighting to be seen as the love that I was. Mm. And what a juxtaposition to fight for love. It's so oxymoronic. So to be loved by Jan, at first I fought it because that's what I knew how to do. Let me, let me prove why you should love me. And let me prove why you are, I, let me prove to you why I'm not good enough. And then let's see if you still love me. Mm. So weird and backwards, but that's what I felt like I did. And what happened was it's like, he was a symbiotic animal. Like I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> You know, like the little things that swim on the whales yeah, yeah. and take off all of the little bacteria on the whale. Like he just, I couldn't get rid of him. I couldn't shake him. He just- Not my love language. He loved me. <laughs> Not words of affirmation. He loved me and loved me and loved me through whatever it was that I put him through. Mm -hmm. And I guess at a certain point, I realized like, hey, you're going to get a lot more from this if you accept and receive the love rather than constantly thinking you need to prove something in order to get it. And for whatever, I mean, I think that our program, our master's program was two years. And then I also assisted for five years. So I literally was like in the two years over and over and over mm -hmm. as if I needed to get it through my head enough. So I, I made sure I was in that environment. But where I learned there is two things. And this is at the core of every, every human being I come into contact with, I believe two things. Number one, they have everything inside of them to heal everything that they've ever been through. They don't actually need anything or anyone's help. They have everything that they need. They've just forgotten. Something has convinced them that they don't know it. Mm. And if I can help them remember that they know it, then I've done my work. And the second thing is, is that we are love. We're not getting love. We're not trying. We're not learning. We're not falling in love. We are the love. And so when two people that know they are love come together and they embrace and accept the loving they are and the loving they bring, then what comes from that is love. So it was realizing I didn't want to fight anymore, coming to the awareness that I'm whole and complete and don't need anybody to fix me. So I'm not broken and I don't have to prove something and embracing that I am love, that those three things compiled together with a thousand other beautiful little nuances. I think that really helped me just say, take me, Jan, take me. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to add to that. Hmm. Like I usually do, by the yeah. way, that's beautiful. Hmm. Thank you. I would say two things. The first one is that you got to a point where I think it was, I think our masters and the studying of love yeah. just is what you really- It blew opened. the roof off. It blew mm. the roof off. And 
you suddenly had this realization that life doesn't have to be hard. I did. Well, and I'll, I'll give some kudos both to you, but also one of my best friends in the world is Christine Hassler. Hmm. And we were going through life processing. So she introduced me to the coach that we ended up being in and we did business mastery training together and we got our NLP certification together. And we were always, she did the masters right before I did the match. We were always like mm -hmm. next to each other, growing, 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 hungry for growth. And she came to me and she said, you know, Monica, for whatever reason, you know, whether you're from this planet or you're not, because I always talk about how I don't think I'm from here. I think my alien parents dropped me here and then said, <laughs> go figure it out. But she said, in order for you to love your life, some part of you has got to start loving being human. Mm. Because I was constantly rejecting all the pain I felt from being around people, being empathic, from being and seeing and witnessing my mother's trials and tribulations, my father's, my grandmother's, like people I deeply loved hurting killed me. I hated it. It crushed my soul. So that's where the origination of why I wanted to be a doctor, because the kids that are most rejected on the planet are those that are born with birth defects. Mm -hmm. They're rejected by teachers, their peers, their parents, like they are rejected. And I wanted them to feel loved. So I thought that by being that kind of doctor, I could bring that love onto the planet. So at my core, I know I came into this life to provide the space for people to, to be loved. And that was, I wanted to help people is what I called it back then, but, but now it's to be loved. So I needed that. I needed to feel like all of this experience gave me access to the part of me that could feel, like you said, I could love the human. I could just love that humans are flawed and they do funny things and they smell when they fart and they're just, they're human <laughs> and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I leaned into that when she shared that I leaned into that and I've really embraced that fully. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of empathy and a lot of patience and compassion for my and other people's human. Mm -hmm. So adding to that mm -hmm. one your father really taught you, mm -hmm. you need to challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. You need to push yourself. And the way to get better and the way to get love is to be the best. And that's constant challenge, uh -huh. challenge and challenge. And I'm someone who I did not provide a challenge. You were just loved. All you had to do was be you. Your challenge was there was none. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. Totally. <laughs> and, and so, and life with me, the life that I wanted to create was designed to be easy, mm -hmm. to be loving where we're making an impact and we're working hard, but it doesn't have to be filled with chaos and upset and, and hardship to overcome something. And so I think that that is one thing, a shift that you had when you were getting your master's was you were like, what am I fighting for? Yeah. Why am I adding like my definition of getting love is by overcoming. Jim broke it. He broke my definition. <laughs> and, 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 and then what you embrace was you didn't have to earn it. You were it. Yeah. 
And so I want to, and, and so one of the things that we believe, and you can take it or leave it, we're just making up a story and choosing to believe it mm-hmm. is, you know, there's, um, there's a, uh, a quote that we're not human beings with a soul, but we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we believe. And, you know, so our soul is energy, like we, we are molecules of this body that we have is the same thing. It's just this table and this microphone, it's atoms and molecules, but there's some sort of energy that is having it move and having it have awareness and conversation. And what is that energy made up of? Well, we choose to believe that that energy is love. We define it as loving energy. So we believe that at our core, underneath or inside or through in the inner spaces of these cells and molecules and atoms is just love. So, And it's like glue and it's attractive and it's magnifying and it's amplifying and it's um, vulnerable and it's authentic and it's truth and it's trust. Like it just it vibrates at all of that, what we going through our human experience long for, that's what love is. And when we can have that awareness, when the human is going through human stuff, and we can then wear this just add love shirt and touch our hearts and check in and go, okay, I'm going through some human stuff. What does the divinity inside of me know to be true? What is the big picture, this soul, this love that's been part of an infinite number of other bodies and infinite number of other experiences that knows everything is working out for the highest good? What does it know to be true? And how do I bring it to myself? How do I bring it to the situation? How do I bring it to my partner? Then we're living a truly loving, love-based, love-centered, love-filled, love-centric life. So that's the other way that you have opened yourself up to love is by embracing that and by being what you authentically are. Yes. That's beautiful. We're having a moment. I love it. We're having I lots of it. moments. We're going to use ourselves. We'll be back in 10. <laughs> um, what, what do you believe is the purpose of relationship? Well, I believe that we are, um, we're pack animals, mm-hmm. you know, we do better in relationship. Typically human beings typically do better in relationship. And I feel like that on a personal level, I have a partner that helps me be a better version of myself and fills in gaps has expertise and superpowers in areas that I don't. So for me, my life is simply better because of the relationship that I'm in. That's why I'm in relationship. I'm going to be esoteric for a moment. (laughs) Perfect. And I think that, um, and, and, you know, my intention is to be spiritual, even though I'm going to use a word that may people relate to as religious, but it's really intended non-denomination. It's really about spiritual. So if cells and molecules have inherent nature and property, together they make things happen. Hmm. 
make a table, they make a door, they make a house, they make a tree. If cells and molecules have to come together for that to happen, then the nature of the universe is about connection. Hmm. And if the nature of the universe is about connection, and that spiritually what we're supposed to resonate with, vibrate inside of, is connection, then there are different connections. There's connection that is repelling connection, and there is a, a connection that is attracting connection. And the craziest thing is it has been studied that you can change the inherent nature of a molecule. If its inherent nature is a repelling molecule and you do intention setting and love and you pour positive music in there and piano and some guitar and it has the right Hertz frequency, it has been studied that repelling molecules come together. Mm -hmm. So if togetherness is a universal truth, then to me, the purpose of relationship is to highlight the universal truth that we are better together. Hmm. That we are meant to do this thing, whatever this is, together. And that when we make bids for connection together, we amplify the love and the impact that we're here to make. And when we make bids and turn away or against each other, we, we, we sever the connection then we live in isolation, survival. And there are people who prefer to be isolated because the world is too much for them. They may have come into this embodiment where it's too big of energy for them. So I'm not talking about those unique outliers. But what I'm talking about is, I think the universe is demonstrating every single day of our life that we are meant to be together, that the force of us together for good, for love, for creativity, and for creation is a togetherness energy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the purpose of relationship. Amazing. Uh, thank you for going deep on your answer on that, by the way, fleshing mm -hmm. it out. Two more questions. Um, and then I really just want to give you all the floor to speak, but how do you, would you coach somebody through insecurities that come up in partnership in a relationship how would that be navigated can i say something first yeah before you give your brilliant answer <laughs> um i want to speak to your audience for a second about this one because Perfect. i think this is really important so we in my opinion are progressively the more we have technology guiding our way, our pace of life tends to get faster. And when things get fast, there is, you know, energy cannot be contained. It's always in motion from a physics perspective. So when we think about anxiety, stress, feeling separate, feeling insecure, feeling less than what we feel we need to be in order to be lovable. Often our mind goes to looking for the evidence against us. And what I want you to know is that if you embrace that you're love, if you trust that you're here to be loved, to express love, to experience love through your loving nature, 
then insecurity is something you're simply passing through. It's not actually something to eradicate and to stop and to, it's information. Kind of like what I said, when challenge is looked upon as a problem to be fixed, it feels finite and limited and you feel labeled or judged. But if, if challenge is an opportunity to learn and grow and become more expansive, learn more about you, then what if insecurity serves that purpose as well? It's here to say, hey, maybe you need to love yourself a little more. Maybe you need to ask someone who you trust to love you in a different way so you really feel their love for you and you feel embraced and important and valuable. And if you've ever seen someone that you've given a compliment to light up, like when you really nail the compliment and it's really something that's important to them about themselves and they just get giddy, they may even chuckle, they light up and you just see like the, almost this duality of, you got me. Thank you so much for getting me. And the little one inside of them, maybe they're a little child, like, oh my gosh, yes, that's me. You remembered, you see me. So insecurity is a lack of being seen in that way. And I just want you to know, I may be a stranger, you may not know me, but if my voice can serve as the voice of the person you most dearly want to hear this from, you are loved just as you are, and there's nothing else you have to do. There's no one else you have to be. And nothing that someone else says or has impacts you in such a way that you feel insecure or less than, it, it doesn't have to define you. It's not the truth. And what could be a truth that would serve you better? We beautifully answered that question. I'm going to answer it differently. Please. So I believe that insecurity is a learned behavior. Mm. I believe that when a baby is born and if the baby is loved and the baby is truly taken care of, they don't have those feelings. But then as life happens and things happen and don't turn out the way that we want them to, then it creates feelings of insecure, scared, um, fears, things like that. Upsets. Being irrelevant, not feeling valued, not feeling important, not worthy, not enough, not deserving. You know, when you get a puppy and like literally just like straight from the mama and you just love the puppy, often that puppy like will just run up to anybody and you can pet it and there's no issues. But often when you adopt a puppy that unfortunately has had some sort of abuse or something like that, and you go to pet it, you know, it shies away. Well, it's a learned behavior. So if someone has experienced something that had them feel hurt, if somebody experienced something that had them see when this happens, this breaks relationships. When people see things in the past that had a really negative result, and then they see things as an adult or now that seem familiar, that immediately brings up those past memories. And it's that little part inside going, check their phone. You're going to find an email. You're going to see a text. There's, they're lying to you. They're cheating to you. I've seen it before. You're going to see it again or something like that. And it's the younger voice trying to protect the current version of ourselves. 
And the way you work through that is through what we say is healing is the application of loving to the parts inside that hurt. And those little parts that are based, that are connected to hurt memories where there was hurt, when we do a process of healing of memories and we go back in time and look at those situations through a loving eyes, through a different eyes than through the little eyes that observe that, we can often almost reprogram our operating system and heal those past wounds so that that voice isn't coming forward. And mm -hmm. so the behavior that is causing someone to feel insecure is just behavior that they're seeing and they just ask questions. Oh, why are you doing this? Or how come this is happening? Versus, oh my God, you're doing this and it's the end of our world. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question a different it way? Did. Yes, it did. I it love how y'all go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I, I just love how y'all work together. It, it's you. awesome to witness holding different Thank perspectives and, and sharing. And yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. I appreciate that. You know, it's kind of like some people are visual learners and some people are audio learners and mm -hmm. some people learn things or kinesthetic. So we bring different art. We're both love based. Mm -hmm. And we're bringing our own life experiences and different perspectives often to a, a situation. Oh my gosh. There's so many things flooding in right now, Kevin. So <laughs> let, it flow, let it flow. So one thing that is really feels really important to say is remember caveat note, highlight in your notebook. If you're taking notes, we have been together for a long time. In addition, we both went to a master's program on relationships and love. psychology and love. Yeah. And we study this every day of our life and talk about it incessantly with everybody. <laughs> and we work together on it in relationship and personally almost every day of our lives, if not multiple dimensions of every day of our life. <laughs> so I want you to know it wasn't always like this. And what I want you to also, what I hope for you is that it brings you faith and the possibility and the opportunity to recognize if you're at the beginning of a relationship journey, if you're in the middle of a relationship journey, or if you've been married 25 years and you have to rekindle the relationship because you've long since forgotten what you fell in love with, it's all possible and available and we make it a priority of our life. And there may be many people that don't agree with this. When Jan and I had children, one of the things we agreed to when we were first talking about having a family is who comes first? Mm. When we have kids, do the kids come first? Do you come? Who comes first? And what we said, and Jan said this so beautifully, if I lose you, there's no kid. There's no future kid. There's no another kid. If I lose, so you come first in my world. And we made a pact and agreement like we come first. Now, that doesn't mean we're not unbelievably loving and we put our children first all the time and we sacrifice ourselves a lot on behalf of our children. We do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we also say to our children, hey, like our daughter will give us a little flack for kissing and holding hands and squeezing each other's butts and being cutesy. And, and we'll say, be grateful that this is the modeling that you have. Yeah. And she knows, I mean, it makes her uncomfortable, but she knows, and we know that it's setting her up 
to powerfully have a sense of what loving could look like for her. So I just, I feel very grateful, but I also want to make sure it's not like they hear us talk about and be so lovey lovey. And like, it's always been this way. It hasn't, it sucked. It was hard. We, we get into disagreements now. We just get through it very, very quickly. It doesn't linger for hours and days and weeks. It's moments because we're not willing to keep distress and angst and and problem and challenge in our relationship we're committed to working our process and taking responsibility and ownership how and fast was, can we get back to the love and that was my last question was how to repair ruptures when something like that does happen how fast or getting back to love quickly and i mean what is that process like can i answer that but before you do can i just say this one other thing that i was thinking yeah or do you want to answer that and then i can go back however you want to do it you go what do you prefer you can share you can share. Um, so one other thing is, um, so I have a unique perspective. Not a lot of people have this perspective. I believe aside from abusive scenarios that for the most part, and there's a very big range of abuse, so I'm not going to go into that. Okay. But for the most part, I think relationships are solvable. I think relationships are healable. I think that are you meant to be intimately connected and married? Maybe not. But can relationships that have had challenge be resolved? Yes. And it requires consistent turning towards the relationship connecting towards each other, seeking to understand yourself and your partner, seeking to move in a direction together, not in a direction where they follow you because they now understand you better. It's really coming together and working through it and coming together and teasing things out. And and I think that a lot of times people enter into a relationship with different levels of commitment. Mm. And if you can up-level or amplify your level of commitment to working on things together and talking a lot about the commitment that you're making so that your partner doesn't just think it's easy for you if you make it look easy, but that you're working on this too, and that there's a lot more over-communication than what people would think is necessary because people don't want to deal with it or hear it, or they feel like it's condescending, like, Jan and I over communicate with each other a lot, a lot, a lot. But because of that, we don't make assumptions. We don't misinterpret. We're able to really clarify things. And I feel that that's really, really important when you're talking in general about this beautiful relationship we've cultivated. Like we have been tested and tested and tested, and we just keep rising together to take on the challenges and the tests. Okay, I'm done with all of the sidebars. I want to just speak to one thing you said, and then I'm going to answer Kevin's question because I feel the need to clarify. Okay. Um, when we put ourselves first, and it's funny, this is just perception. I'm cleaning this up so that I'm perceived the way I want to be. I, I'm perceived the way I want to be perceived. Okay. I love you. It's kind of like when you're on the airplane and they say, put your own mask yeah. on first before you put it on the others. If Mm -hmm. our relationship is not working, then our household is not working. The kids are not in a loving space. So when we say we're putting ourselves first, it's like 
this is always the commitment and the requirement. And when this is working, it all works. Mm -hmm. So that's, I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you. <laughs> um, so when we experience upset, when something, um, it, it's, we, so a couple things. The first one is um, we believe something called heart-centered listening, mm. seeing the loving essence. These are two tools that are basically hearing and seeing everything that she does through the ears and eyes of my heart. And I believe that when I do that, everything that she's doing has a loving intention. And if she says something or does something that doesn't have a loving intention, then it's my responsibility to get clarification because I know the message sent was not the message received. Mm. Now, here's what happens, okay? By the way, that was big picture before right. I go into the specific. Mm -hmm. So let's say that we're in an argument about something or we're in a disagreement about something. And she's. this is typically how it happens for us because we're human and most people. It looks like ping pong. I said something or I say something, she responds back. And I then say something and she responds back. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And usually what are the people saying? Wait, can I just give an example? So this morning okay. I came into the house last night. I got home really late and he said, pull the car in the garage. I'll be waiting for you and I'll charge your car. And I said, great. Thank you so much. And of course he was waiting with the garage door open. I pulled in <laughs> and I went upstairs and our little one was in our bed. So I went and slept in a different room. So I didn't check on anything that was happening. <laughs> and so then I go downstairs in the morning to take my car and my car has not been charging. Well, that's not Jan's fault because a lot of times the charger just turns off. There's like a switch that happens. Wait, just let me think. <laughs> this, this, this example's not working for me. Okay. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you, okay? Okay. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay, great. Do you know where I was getting with it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to get to it? Because now you're going to leave everybody hanging. Well, I'm just hearing like we had an argument whether or not I charged your car or not. No, I was going to point out ping pong. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the example was you shared, no, I did charge your car. And I shared, well, the charger wasn't in the car. Right. And it can be as simple and stupid of a thing as someone just thought they did something and then it wasn't that way, but they really thought that they did because there was such a loving intention. Right. And yet that loving intention, if I make him wrong for it, turns into a disagreement, an argument, mm. a fight. And now we're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And there's no resolution. You're so funny. I love you. You're so funny. <laughs> this is the way that you react to me. So typically, <laughs> typically when it's ping pong, yeah. and maybe you're experiencing some of it right now. I hope you are. It's a beautiful example. <laughs> it is a beautiful it example. Is I did this. I said this. No, I did this. I said this. No, you did this. You said this. No, you did. And mm. it's it's typically each person feeling not heard. 
And saying it again and again and again, a little bit differently. You didn't hear me last time. Let me say it again differently. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Let me say it louder. Hold on. Let me say it different. Use different, you know, descriptor. Let me, and, and, and it's just the same thing back and forth, back and forth, because neither person feels heard. Mm -hmm. So, or valuable or important or loved. So one of the people has to catch the ping pong ball. Mm. Whoever is hopefully or potentially less charged by the conversation has to have the thought, it's more important to be loving than to be right. Because I know I'm right. Or more important to be loving than to win. Than to win. Mm -hmm. Like there will be times, this is in the past. This is an example I always use in the past. Oh, is it about me? Yeah. Oh, great. Where, where <laughs> I would send her a text and she would be like, you never sent me that. And I'd be like, no, 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 I did. And she's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, no, 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 I did. And no, you didn't. Cause you would have done this, 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 this. And I'm looking at my phone and I have the text and I can be right. Or I can just be loving. Mm. And by the way, this happens both ways when we're both sure of something. Okay. And so one person has to grab the <laughs> ping pong ball. See that? Thank you. Grab the ping pong ball and go, tell me exactly what you want to say. Tell me what it is exactly that mm. you want me to share. And then the person will share. And then it's up to the person listening to reflect back. So what you're saying is that you told me to plug it in and you told me to do this and I didn't, you believe I didn't do this and I didn't do that. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. And then hopefully they'll go, yes, that is. And the person might apologize. I'm sorry that you felt that way. I'm sorry that you understood that. I'm sorry that you're feeling this way. Can we do a redo? Can we do a retake? Can we rewrind? And then once that person feels heard, then it's, can I share with you what I meant, what my perspective was? But in the argument, both people are like, here's my perspective. Here's my perspective. Here's my perspective. Here's my perspective. So what happens if both people aren't able to catch the ball? Then they need time. Mm. At some, they just like, you know what? Like time out. We're going to, we're, we're going to take a break. Yeah. yeah. We're going to step away from this energy, but it's an agreement before there's ever a conflict. You come to your partner and you say, Hey, I want to let you know that in the past, when we've been in arguments or disagreements, how it's gone, I'm not proud of, and I don't feel good about, and I don't want that to keep happening. So how about we try this in the future? Mm. When we get into it, if we can't get to a resolution together, if we can't have one of us calm down, de-escalate enough to catch the ping pong, then can we have a um, magic word, a hot word, a, Popcorn. a you know, something that something. says we need to separate and, and for however long we need. Sometimes it's going to be an hour, you know, and, and the agreement is between the couple for Jan mm -hmm. and I, it's like, Hey, give me, give me 30 minutes, give me 15 minutes to go cool off for some couples. It's give me 24 hours. Yeah. Please don't bring it up for 24 hours because it, I'm so agitated. It's going to trigger the explosive part of me. Mm. For us, our loving relationship is like oxygen and we want to get back to it as quickly as possible. Mm. And we just know that we're both doing things from a loving space. So if something happened 
it's because I'm exhausted. If I didn't say something, if I said something the wrong way, if I didn't do something I said I was going to do, it's because I'm trying so hard to be so many things that, you know, all the time or whatever reason may be the truth or her truth. Mm -hmm. So the way that we work by knowing that and just by giving each other the benefit of the doubt, we're human beings. Life can be challenging. The economy and finances and family and expectations and our past are so much. Be nice to each other. Forgive each other. Get to the forgiveness as quickly as possible. Get back to the loving as quickly as possible. And you just stop and you let the person speak and you have them be heard. You have them be loved. And then you go, can I share? And then hopefully they'll be ready to hear yours. Mm -hmm. And when you have a real great partnership, they do that. And then at some point it's like, okay, now we understand both of our perspectives. Now what's a compromise? How do we just get back to a loving space? How do we move through this now that we both feel seen and heard? Mm -hmm. And that's how we get through stuff. There's also something about, you know, people, when they get into those conflicts, if they tend to keep going in that direction, it goes to the pulling apart again. And they feel separate and they feel isolated and they feel misunderstood. And then they seek for being seen and understood out of the relationship. For Mm. some people, it's friendship. For some people, they reach out codependency or reach out, you know, with family members. And for some people, they reach out for that connection with someone else. And when you feel broken or you feel misunderstood and someone being kind understands you in a heightened emotional state, it can really trigger emotional feelings. So what we also are really um, advocates of is if you are in a loving and committed relationship, a monogamous relationship, and you want to work through something and you can't work it out with your partner, be very aware of who you're working it out with, where you're going to get the attention that you need, because you may innocently be going to talking to someone who you think is just a friend And yet all of a sudden, because you're in such a vulnerable state and they do such a good job of reflecting you, you misinterpret in that heightened emotional state that they love you because what you're seeking is validation, love, and feeling important, lovable. Mm -hmm. And so if that happens one or two or three times with that same individual, people are like, you know, it's an emotional uh, cheating or an emotional connect And at first it doesn't seem like, how could there be something wrong with this? I'm just going to someone trying to be soothed because I'm not getting it in my partnership and I don't know how to get it. But I just say, you know, really be aware and perhaps even talk about it with your partner. Like who is that person or who are those people that are your accepted, trusted, valued advisors in those moments because it can be really tricky. Mm-hmm. When we're in heightened emotional states, we misinterpret communication and interaction. When we really need to be held and loved, if we go to the person that doesn't have a good boundary, the being held in love turns into something other other than that. And it it 
it adds a whole nother layer to you needing to work through the conflict in your own relationship. Mm -hmm. A very important piece. I think so. Yeah. Thank you all for sharing so much. Um, I would love to just open the floor of anything, last things you want to put out there, share to the audience, people tuning in and listening. Um, any last bits of advice? I mean, y'all have shared so many amazing things. <laughs> like this has been, an, I've been on the edge of my seat the whole time. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Is Thank there you. anything that's in your mind? Um, the, the thing that keeps coming up that I just kind of wanted to share is um, there's this beautiful story about a husband and a wife and the husband wanted to um was really adamant about the way he liked things to be. And the wife was raised in a very challenged environment growing up. And her respite, where she felt safe, was across the street from her home was a forest. So she would leave when her family was in chaos and she'd run into the forest and she'd talk to the animals and she'd feel totally safe. And so she's now in this marriage and she's wanting to buy a house in the woods, like a cabin. And her husband is like, we don't have the finances for that. That's not a good idea. I don't want to do that. Why do you want to do that? And she couldn't quite articulate why it was important to her. She didn't really put together the story of her childhood, why it was important. And so all she felt was rejection, 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 rejection. So the couple goes to a therapist and the therapist favored the husband. And so the therapist said, why don't you just tell your wife that she gets to listen to you and a no's a no. So he goes home and says, this is what the therapist said. So I fired her and I want to understand why do you think this is so important to you? And she expressed, she was able to finally, as he was gentle about it and not a no. So there was space for her to actually think and consider. She said, oh, growing up, that was my safe place. So when we're busy in our life and we're going, 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 I just want a place where I can read a book, have a cup of coffee, feel like I'm immersed in me and this moment. And so the husband said, well, if we're going to do that, there's something I need from you because I feel like it will be an escape and you'll, you'll go away. What I would need from you is it's really important that our home is, is a certain kind of home. And that you could uphold these certain values that I want to have in our home. And so he said, I haven't been telling you that. And I haven't been giving you the space to tell me what you needed me to know. And so in giving each other the space to reflect on why they had different opinions, that space, that time, that coming to each other and really asking the question provided the safety to be able to express the need. And when he could hear his wife say, it's safe for me. It reminds me of this childhood space I would create. And it would be a beautiful thing for me to create. He wanted nothing more than to honor that. And then he was able to share something that would feel safe for him. And she said, I would love nothing more than to honor that in you. But had they been like, I'm right about this. No, I don't understand why you want this. And you're not articulating it in a way that justifies it. So no, 
if there was no space, then there wouldn't have been an opportunity for the healing that needed to happen individually to be able to be loved and adored and admired and appreciated by their partner so that they could have that outcome and they could both get what was needed. So I just felt that that's a beautiful example when in relationship, sometimes we feel like we're so desperately trying to be seen and heard and understood and loved, but we're so only seeing it from one side. We're trying to get our partners to get us. Mm. So pause for a moment, get into your partner's world if you can, and ask the kinds of questions that might help them jog their memory as to why they feel or are acting the way they are that might bring you to a space to be able to really honor something that they didn't know how to ask you for. Mm. Beautiful. Well, and and that's one of our fundamental lessons that we teach, which is getting to your partner's world. And you came up with the questions, I think it was you, yeah. what is on your mind and what is on your heart? Yeah. Mm. They did that. They did. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So asking those questions, what is on your mind? What is in your heart? Like taking the time to get into your partner's world mm -hmm. and it just like, and to be fascinated by it, you know? Yeah. We do a little thing with all of our clients called Ninja Love Bombs. And randomly for no reason at all, we'll just send them a text. And the text I always send people is, how is your heart? <laughs> because we are often asked, how are you? And that's so big. But how's your heart? Pauses you for a moment like, oh, wait, I, I haven't checked in with my heart today. Let me find out. So I, I just love that question. I think it's a really powerful question to ask your partner. I do as well. Great. This has been such a treat to just be in y'all's presence and witness your dynamic and how you show up and serve um, the place that you've gotten to. Congratulations on 30 years. Thank you. Seriously. Uh, thank this has been an amazing roller coaster. <laughs> it has <laughs> been and continues circle. to be. Um, yes. Just a witness and, and everything that you shared. I mean, I'm definitely going to go back and take notes and listen again, because this is very it's just an honor to be in y'all's space and to learn from you and to to know you and also to share this story and y'all's perspectives on things. Um, I really do feel like a lot of people are going to get a lot from this. Amazing. Well, yeah. Kevin, the feeling is always mutual. Hmm. I love that you are the founder and the leader of the heart gang. I love that you lead with your heart, love with your heart and love with your whole being. Hmm. And I just, I love interacting and playing in this amazing life with you and thank you for the invitation we're a yes thank you so much for everybody um there are links to more about their coaching and where you can find out more about their videos they have on youtube and all the things will be down in the show notes below any last words on that no just thank you so much for having us this was so fun for us this like you saw we it was special for us to be able to do it together and keep doing mm -hmm. what you're doing you know we're mm -hmm. just that love and you know you have the heart gang and you're mm -hmm. the heart guy and we speak <laughs> the same language and it's so important like what a life what an important life mission we all have undertaken so we really uh -huh. acknowledge you and think it's great and are grateful to be here today thank you thank you so much